Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast that explores mental health, especially for folks of color. I'm your host, Johnzel Anderson. I'm a licensed therapist and owner of Panoramic Counseling in Richmond, Virginia. I hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Welcome back for the third part of our June Mental Health Book Club. We are going through Greta Thunberg's The Climate Book. If you're following along in your book, we are going from page 200 through 317, and my toddler is having a tantrum right now, so enjoy that. And we are going to continue to dive into these discussions about eco-anxiety. I will say, to start off with, I've, I've read a lot of books in my 30 years. It'll be 31 on Wednesday. I believe that this is probably the most important thing that I've ever put myself through reading. But I will also say with that, it has probably been one of the most challenging topics to go through. So I'm interested in y'all's reactions to the book so far, but also from the readings from this week, because that's kind of my, that's kind of how I'm feeling right now. I will say this week, uh, was definitely focused a lot on transportation, which I know is a passion topic of yours. So I'm excited to hear your thoughts on um, how they were like, electric's there, but not there, if that makes sense. Um, so it's really interesting that even even a climate change book is like, we have we still have work to do, right? To get us onto an alternative to fossil fuels. I'm... Equal parts excited and scratching my head when it comes to the transportation stuff because, you know, Greta says over and over again, we can't lose hope because if we lose hope, we're doomed, right? But she also gives us the truth of, you know, while there's two parts. So do the little things that we've been talking about, right? But she also gives it to us straight and says that just doing the little things will still kill us. So there's big, systemic, radical change that needs to happen. And when it comes to the transportation thing, which we will definitely get into it, I'm trying to apply the principle of we should have hope. Um, I think my initial reaction, and I'm still like doing my reading, is like there's a lot of information out here about um like climate change you know the book is full of essays and full of like opinions and thoughts on it so i think while it is like very good it feels academic but um you know a lot of things to digest and think about and like a lot of moments to make you go hmm i think the thing that i've been reflecting a lot on in the last week Um, which definitely ties into this section, but isn't specific to this section, is just um, what we were talking about last time with how we're so far, um, we don't have silver bullet solutions, but I keep coming back to that idea of choice and impact um, that we were discussing last time. And if everybody made small choices, I do think it adds up. Um, and so maybe that's just me being overly optimistic and trying to um, get myself, I don't know, out of a funk. But I think that 
Yeah, I've just been trying to think about that this week. And and last week I had said on the call how I'm still going to do my pickup order from Target this week and I'm not going to have my own bags. Like I'm just going to show up and go. And I feel like this has come up in every book club I've participated in, but a lot of my decision-making centers around the idea of at what cost. Um, And so balancing cost for yourself versus cost to the earth is hard. Like at what point do I get to use some of this resource just by virtue of my right? And I wasn't, I didn't choose to be here, but I am versus how much is my responsibility. Um, And so that's been harder this past week because when I am going through big changes, I'm not always making sustainable choices. I'm just trying to get through. I did buy another pack of like disposable silverware, for example. I just, I need to get through this week. But then I'm like, I do drive a smart car. I do run and walk most places. So maybe I'm not as bad as I think I am. I will say, because I edited last week's episode, like, what is today, Monday? So I edited Saturday evening and Sunday morning, which is kind of late for me. But as far as getting the episode out, but when I was listening to it, I I remember being encouraged for the second time listening, Brianna, to what you were saying about like the small parts and how um, you shared a lot of examples about how you like eliminated, I believe it was like beef and pork uh, from your diet and things like that. And then as I read this week's, you know, section, uh, it was talking about like the emissions from the different types of like animals and the foods that we eat and stuff like that. And so I do believe that cumulatively, if we all I think if a lot of people could get exposed to maybe not this entire book and it's, you know, full form, but if the information from these individual essays could, you know, be shared, you know, widely, I think that more people will become aware because part of the problem is that we don't know that the tub is overflowing and, you know, cause people are, you know, living their, their lives and things like that. But you also have to remember to, like you said, like I didn't choose to be here. So And I remember one thing specifically that you said, you said, um, I'm alive, therefore I'm going to have a footprint. And that I think is a, is a basis that we can all start from is like, well, we're here. How can we leave the impact in the ways that matter, but not leave an impact in the ways that are, um, wasteful or temporary. Right. Um, and I think on the day-to-day, those small things, if everybody was aware and everybody knew that, okay, I'm here, I'm having an impact, let's do the small things that we can, I think it would have a ripple effect. But the the first part of the problem is that a lot of people either choose to ignore, uh, which honestly, I'm going to use my energy for people who are flexible. I can't run my battery down trying to argue with somebody who already believes that it's not a problem. Please stick your head in the sand. I'm going to go talk to these people who are above the sand. But once more people get to know, they can have their impact and then it can go from there. And I'm going to, I'm bragging on you today because I I literally was listening to that episode and I was getting re-encouraged. So you said we put somebody on the moon. Um, We have this technology, like the International Space Station, they're exploring Mars, which I won't go into the weeds about that, but I'm like, that's a lot of 
like fuel to get up there for something that seems frivolous, but that's neither here nor there. We have technology. We could do big things. So if we can do those things, we can change this and we can turn it around. Um, this, this week's reading, I learned about, um, I'll just jump into it. I believe it was called drawdown technology, which is the capturing the carbon from the atmosphere. And I think they like bury it, which of course it's a whole thing, but the earth has the ability to like scrub it. And the same thing with our oceans, it's kind of filtering things. We just have to also understand like the earth can only take so much of a beating before it's like, yo, I'm tired. Um, that's paraphrasing something that the earth told me once upon a time. But like I said, you know, it's going to be cheaper now if we start doing some stuff to, of course, turn off the faucet and to reduce our emissions, then to the, the, the catch of drawdown technology or the capturing the carbon and stuff like that is that the, the, the corporations and the industries and our huge consumer machine will tell us, oh, we're like, you've bought something. Everyone's bought something where it's like, oh, we're going to plant a tree um to offset this or whatever and what we learned is that that stuff is kind of a facade um and consuming something and then saying oh we'll plant a tree on your behalf doesn't really reduce the impact that it has so i think it when we think of these big like these big things that need to happen it does come down to our individual choices like uh we can choose to bring a cup to the 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 Starbucks to have them fill our own cup instead of using, you know, the cups that they have there, or we can use a, you know, we can decide, Oh, I'm not going to make this really long trip just for this one item. When I can just do it another day when I'm already in the area, you know, we can do those things to reduce our impact. So um, I think the more individuals know about this, do the little things, it will have a bigger impact, but then we also, we get into it. And so I did finish the book. So I'm a little, I know a little bit about the last section, but when we get into activism, we have to really get on these corporations and governments and stuff like that, who really have the power. And I'll say one more thing. One of the essays gave the comparison of how countries responded to COVID-19 and they were able to shift budgets and uh, deploy all of these things to make the impact not as deadly. The comparison that was made is that was seen as a crisis. People were dropping like flies, right? Something needs to shift so that people can see that climate change is a crisis. And I'll give a somewhat personal example. Um, And who's to say the impact of uh, whatever, I'm going to just say it. Uh, I live in a home and I've lived here for since 2020, so three years. Each year we have a storm that will happen that will bring a giant limb down from trees that are not on our property, but in other surrounding yards and stuff. Two out of three times they've damaged something. So the first time it crushed a wall of my fence, that was a thousand dollars to fix. Uh, I wanna say the next year, another big limb came down. It didn't break anything, but you have to pay to get the giant limb removed from your yard, right? That was hundreds of dollars. Thursday, I want to say it was, there's another huge storm and it was, it's, it's extreme weather because it went from, it was a sunny day to the sky got really dark and I'm sitting here in this spot, um, doing a therapy session online 
and I see the sky get dark. And then all of a sudden the wind is blowing, you know, kind of like eerie, like it's like dancing a little bit. And then all of a sudden the sirens going off on my phone saying thunderstorm warning, like 80 mile per hour winds. And it literally was not even probably a 20 minute time span. Extreme, like the rain was going sideways. The wind was crazy. These trees are just like you know, flapping around and I closed the blinds because it was giving me anxiety while I'm trying to be somebody's therapist. Right. And I'm like, that's a lot. I don't want to focus on that. I want to focus on my client. And then the lights are flickering as I'm doing the session. So my client's like, what is this nonsense? And then I hear a boom, a giant limb hits my house and it literally hit the house inches away from where I was sitting. Like right? Like the, the part I saw I'm on the second floor, it hit the roof next to me and like damaged the gutter or whatever. And I had the blinds closed. I was like, to, I just say to my client, um, my client's like, uh, what the fuck was that? And I was like, I'm pretty sure something big just hit my house, but I'm not going to pay attention to it now because I have to finish working. Right. I said, I'll look, I'll look later. And sure enough, it, it basically damaged the gutter. It, they came and assessed it today and it was like your roof miraculously wasn't damaged it literally just clipped the gutter and damaged that it it kind of goes uh to the thing of like this extreme weather is definitely climate change related and when i was talking earlier about covid i said well this is you know we knew that was a crisis it was an emergency it's going to take people's houses getting fucked up to realize hmm Maybe we should do something about this because me personally, I'm tired of, well, first of all, it's always insulting because the damages are always literally like $20, $50, $60 over what my home insurance uh, deductible is. So it's like, why bother? And so it's like, I literally, and I shit you not, I'm going to say this last thing. I was looking at my savings account because they say, oh, you're supposed to have three, six, 12 months of income and savings. Like who the fuck can do that in this economy? Um, but I was looking at because I put, I try to put aside about uh, $100 a week into savings just to have something just in case. And I was looking at it the day before I was like, okay, my rainy day fund is, you know, getting a little bit of money in there. God damn it. If we didn't have a rainy day the next day, and if the damages wasn't exactly now, I'm thankful that I had the money in my savings account, but the damages are exactly what I had in my savings account. And I'm like, so we're back to square one, but I'm sharing that as an example because it's like, there's going to be more extreme weather as climate change continues to do. And it's going to start damaging and it's going to start costing a lot of money. And they do get into like the financial uh, impacts of this. That's going to be when people are like, no, this is a crisis. So I'm seeing it on small scales and I'm thankful that I prepare and have the means to fix things, but it's going to get worse. And I think, I just wish that there was a way to get people to see that this is just as important as a global pandemic, because it's the ultimate global pandemic in the sense that our home is on fire. I want y'all to jump in with things about the essays from this section that stood out to you. Because like I said, for me, it's all coming full circle. It's all between my own actual life, what I'm seeing around me, the things that I consume, the reading this book, it's all kind of hitting in different ways and it's clicking for me and I'm thankful for it, but I'm really interested to see what y'all have to say. I think the 
from this section, the thing that stood out to me the most made me go, huh, that's an interesting thought. I never thought of that before was they were talking about um, how some of the mitigation strategies like capturing the carbon cost money, real money. And we need money to do that, right? And so they're talking about how do you get the tax money to do that? And they were talking about how right now it's really a problem for the producer. So these more impoverished countries where the products and the supplies are coming from are bearing the burden versus putting that price uh, for mitigation on the consumer, like the end user. And when I thought of that, I was like, that makes a lot of sense, right? It would also incentivize places like, I don't know, the United States maybe to start making products locally if there was going to be these extra taxes built in to help with mitigation strategies in other countries. And to me, that was like, that seems like a legitimized solution. So I think it's a legitimized solution, but look how people lose their minds when gas goes up 15 cents a gallon. And so in order to make that economic balance, it requires a full cultural shift. And that is what I think is so hard about this. When we look at climate action, it's so tied into human rights and out of sight, out of mind is what is what's so real. And it's real in development, even development toward these initiatives. There's this idea of, um, you know, like poverty porn that comes about as a part of climate inaction. So John Zell talking about his house. Yeah, very extreme. And I'm also having $4,800 worth of trees removed on Friday um, because uh, too many storms. And I've been told to pull it down. And after the last branch came down that I could not lift, um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to have to do that or buy a new roof and this will be cheaper. Um, But, you know, when we look at like we brought it up last time, Katrina, um, looking at which parishes suffered the most, looking at which wards suffer the most in cities, looking at um, those nations near the equator where that one degree a year it was already so hot. That's so real. And yet um, we are founded on that, that choice and that idealism. Um, and I'll never forget when we moved to the U.S., my father uh, took me surfing in California. I think I might have said this in a book club before, but he was like, Brianna, California is amazing. You can do what you want and nobody cares. And he said, California is also very difficult because you can do what you want and nobody cares. And he said, it's the little America. Um, of course, I think a lot of that has changed with media. We definitely seem to care and that we will get into battles with people, especially online, about um, what we think is most right, whether that be choice or or these decisions, but it goes against the complete grain, which is why I feel so hopeful about trying to educate children because they don't have that ego yet. And so if you can expose them to this, they're aware of that. They're thinking about that and it becomes less culturally important to them. But my father used to make a crude joke too. My father um, was involved with Gulf War, um, different things in the Middle East, et cetera. He's um, an army vet. And he used to call SUVs Middle Eastern baby killers, which is heinous. And yet we have totally desensitized the fact that our Middle East involvement is over oil. 
when we when we bring it back to that economic piece. And so the joke is crude, sure, but how much cruder is it that we've completely dissociated? Um, much like with meat, I made my choice that we've spoken about about pork and beef. I do still eat poultry, but it used to make me really angry as a teacher when um, parents used to teach their kids about like the chicken nugget tree and bullshit like that. Don't dissociate what you're consuming. Be be aware that education is the biggest piece. So then whether it be for emissions, whether it be for um, improvement in animal welfare, et cetera, you're informed. But we have this dissociation to what's on our plate, to what's in our shopping bag, to what's on our doorstep, that the consideration is not real. And so that that furthers just my um, investment into education, whether it be of college students or of young children. I have a quote that I want to add to this that uh, Ashley kind of started. So it's talking about investing financially. Um, So on page 217, quote, we cannot just buy, invest, or build our way out of the climate and environmental crisis. Nevertheless, money is still very much at the heart of the problem. Investment is vital. Financial resources need to be directed to the best available solutions, adaptations, and restorations as much as we can possibly find. But the money seems to be going elsewhere. The often used argument that, quote, we don't have enough money has been disproven so many times, end quote. Now I'm going to just leave that one there. What are y'all's thoughts on that? I mean, it's very evident, right, with COVID and uh, the stimulus checks that they sent out, right? Or the fact that uh, they poured so much money into making sure that the healthcare system can stay afloat during COVID. Like there's money. It's just being allocated differently when there's not a crisis that they deem a crisis, right? I disagree. Um, Because I think, you know, like looking at the U.S.'s debt, I don't think the money is there. The problem is that we don't have public funds. Public funds are generated by taxes. So all this money, it exists, but it's tied up in private pockets. And so that wage inequity is very, very real. And that global inequity is very real. But there's not this money that's just floating because it's allocated. It's allocated to personal individuals. And so that, I think, feeds back into that idea of culture, like, you're going to have to make a choice. And that choice is going to have to be someone saying, I will take less. And people don't want to say they'll take less. Like the connotation of that, that crab pot syndrome is so real. But that cultural shift, that's why, like, I guess I, like um, John Zell was saying, anytime anything is spicy is being discussed, I try not to talk to people that are in extremes already, because that's not where you're going to get the bang for your buck. That's not worth it. You know what I mean? Like their mind, don't waste my time. Um, and again, why just children, like if they can understand that inequity, they haven't formed their opinions about what they're owed from the world. And so as much as I say I have a footprint, I feel that I am owed, but I also owe. And, and that's not necessarily standard. Let's transition into what Ashley had mentioned earlier. Let's talk about transportation. I'll start with, I guess, my own perspective of it. And I remember when I was a child, the only thing, the only milestone that I cared about from a very young age was I wanted to be 16 so I could drive a car. 
And of course, you know, you get to be a teenager and you get your license and you now have this freedom to drive. I was born into a culture and a society that is built around private transportation. I've never lived in a place where I had easy access or convenient access to public transportation. We, um, part of the industrial revolution is built around the fact that because of the automobile, people can live further away from town centers and things like that and still participate. I can use my perspective now. So the house I live in is, uh, it's in Colonial Heights, which is next to Petersburg, Virginia, which is more well-known. And it is south of Richmond proper, which is where I live and work and stuff like that. So to get from Colonial Heights to Richmond is about 20 to 25 minutes, depending on where I'm going. And it's straight down 95. It's first of all, that's treacherous, but we digress. The reason I bought a house here is because the house cost was so much lower. I could not afford to buy a house that wasn't a fixer upper in Richmond proper um, and still be able to pay my bills and things like that. So I bought this house here and it was before housing prices went crazy. Now the house, the value of my house is like more than doubled, but um, got it real cheap, like 120,000. It was somebody got foreclosed on and it was just like the best deal. Right. But I have to drive. Like I do a mentor. I mentor somebody who lives in Henrico, which you have to go through Richmond city to get to that side of Henrico. A lot of, I, I spend a lot of miles, like a lot of miles on my car are through mentoring that person. I'm going to South Carolina tomorrow to pick him up because he was visiting family. He doesn't have a car. Right. So I drive a lot. And part of my whole story of my life has been once I got that independence and was able to drive, I had the freedom and I had the access to education and uh, jobs and people and things like that. So I grew up in a society where the, the private automobile was what you did. There was no, it's not like, I love New York City because when I go to New York City, I don't have to. I can get on the subway. It's super cheap. It's whatever. If I go to DC, I mean, it's very walkable, but if I needed to, I could get through public transportation. Most places don't have that. And so you have to have a private vehicle or, you know, because of housing prices and the cost of living, things like that, people are pushed to further out areas to be able to access uh, urban areas and stuff like that. So transportation is something that I grew into like the United States. I don't know if we're ever going to, or at least anytime soon, because of our culture, we're so independent. We're so me, myself, and I, and mine, we can't work together or we don't do very well with it. So the answer that Greta provides is that we need to work, uh, we need to work in the direction of access to public transportation and things like that, uh, reducing the reliance on the independent vehicle. And I'll give one quote, and then I want to open it up to y'all. So she says, uh, in the shorter term, while the majority of vehicles on the road remain fossil fueled, a low hanging fruit is lowering. I don't think this is Greta, but a low, a lower hanging fruit is uh, lowering traffic speeds on highways, uh, introducing a motorway speed limit of 130 kilometers per hour in speed loving Germany would lower carbon emissions by 1.9 million tons annually. 
Um, and I'm pretty sure that that wasn't Greta that I just jotted down the quote on my um, iPad. But in the short term, there are things we can do to reduce our impact with our private vehicles. And I like that part about reducing the speeds because uh, just it didn't even click to me that science says you're more efficient between a certain range, right? Like once you go over a certain speed, the efficiency drops. Um, now, I personally drive a an electric vehicle. So I was like, oh, well, I don't know if this applies to me because I'm not using an engine. That I did extra research and it turns out it doesn't matter if you're in an electric vehicle or an internal combustion engine vehicle. Once you get over speeds of like 60 or 65, your efficiency drops significantly. So what I've done uh, and I'm kind of cheating on our like sign off of what I've done differently. But what I've done is I've started and it's 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 a small inconvenience, but it's made a big impact already. So I've started training myself to drive the posted speed limit. I used to do five or 10 over. Now on 95, that could get you killed. So I stay in my black ass right in the right lane. But I've been doing that. And I know what the range of my electric vehicle is significantly better like i'm not having to charge it as much and also because it has a gigantic battery research says that when you don't drive at super high speeds your battery isn't heating up as much which means it'll last longer and so just the efficiency of the vehicle my electric vehicle is improved like literally by numbers on the dash like there's all these computers so i've seen it but also for a internal combustion engine which is a gas fueled car um, they're more efficient at lower speeds. So it's just something to think about. Um, instead of going, you know, 70 down 95, like I normally do, I've been going the 60. That's the posted speed limit. And I know that people are going to zip around me and that I'm going to look a little crazy and you feel the anxiety of people thinking that you should go faster. But what I will say as a person who lives with anxiety, like a whole panic disorder, like diagnosed, I have felt so much peace, not going over the speed limit. Like I know I'm going to set my cruise control. I'm going to stay to the right. And there's something just because uh, uh, I think it was Angela who said she's trying to work on slowing down, slowing down. And of course, giving myself enough time so I can get places on time, slowing down and just being present in that I'm, I'm no, I'm a safer driver because I've been doing this. I'm not as anxious. I'm also doing a uh, more radical acceptance because I see the other people zipping around and driving crazy. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to get where I need to go. It's going to be okay. And I'm doing my little part to improve efficiency. And it, just because I'm not using gas and tailpipe emissions doesn't mean that when I plug my car into my house, that doesn't come from a grid that is powered by fossil fuels, unfortunately. So I can still increase my efficiency by not being so heavy on the pedal. So I'm going to leave that there. Um, I want you all to talk about your thoughts on transportation because they did get into a lot of the different angles of it. And I'm really interested to see what y'all have to say. Um, so for a while, I lived in the D.C. area and I lived in Philly. Um, and more so when I lived in Philly, um, I took the train into work, um, but I still had to drive maybe like 10 minutes to the train station. Um, so there was, you know, gas and um, fossil fuels being used there. Um, but I, I never really thought about it. Um, I tell you or talking just now, John Dell, that it really saved like a lot of time for me to drive and or to take the train into the city and like go to work. 
um, because, you know, there was a lot of traffic. I would have been like idling and like all of those like emissions and things like going into um, the air. Um, but, you know, it saved a lot of time. It saved me money because the train was like super cheap there. I didn't have to pay for parking unlike at DC um, or like in DC when I lived there um, versus paying $10 a day or $15 a day to park at a parking garage. that was like right by my job. So I wish in saying all that, I wish that here in like the Richmond, Virginia area, we had more opportunities for public transportation. Cause I feel like every time, you know, I meet somebody that's from New York or anywhere else that it's very easily accessible to public transportation. In a lot of cases, people don't drive or they don't own cars around, but I, I do wish that we had more opportunities um, and more different modes of public transportation here that we do um, currently. So I'll just piggyback off that. I think that, unfortunately, the way that uh, town planning and city planning happened in this country, uh, the suburbs became a thing. And the suburbs put you far away from the things you need, unfortunately. Um, I'm kind of proud of the town that I live in because uh, they were a little bit more thoughtful in how uh, they constructed the town. And so there's kind of like a central area where most of the newer housing has been put and so they've made a conscious effort to do a trans like an internal town transportation system um where even in my neighborhood like if i walk less than a block out of my cul-de-sac there's a bus stop um so you can get around town that is not a common thing i'm also it's right outside of a university town so it kind of makes a little bit more sense um but i mean greta's right like we've got to figure out a way to get people to stop using personal vehicles. One of my jobs before I'm at where I'm at now was at a transportation institute and they were working on autonomous vehicles. Cause like you were saying that optimal speed, even if we could say put people in vehicles where they can't decide how fast it's going, that could help um, reduce things a little bit as well. Additionally, if you could get an autonomous vehicle, that's all right. Everyone in this neighborhood, like get in here and we'll like bring you wherever you need to go. Um, but a lot of people like their driving time and being in solitude, right? Or the rush of like taking the kids to this soccer practice and then over here. And I mean, as Brianna said, it's going to need to be some kind of cultural shift with the younger generations in order to get buy-in to radically changing the system. There's a lot of like smaller steps up until that. Like, and I preface this episode by saying just doing the small steps will kill us, right? That's an extreme thing, but Greta's not afraid to say it, right? She she says, I'm I'm gonna tell it like it is, but not give up hope. And that's kind of the message uh on this this end of the book. I really liked the what Brianna shared about like the SUV being the uh Middle Eastern child um killer or something like that. And the the book, there was essays about it, and the vehicles that people buy that are popular are gas guzzlers. Like we we go through phases where it's like oh my gosh the gas prices are so high i'm going to get a hybrid i'm going to get a small you know whatever car and then when gas prices go down people get these gigantic suvs and i mean even in my own home like my my wife had a really fuel efficient and this is not to shit on her but she had a fuel efficient like little hybrid that was like a crossover and she's like oh i think i want more space and got a bigger hybrid that was less fuel efficient because the culture says bigger vehicle or whatever. We only have one child, right? But it's there's the marketing is so strong, right? And so 
but I, I did with that being said, the cars that we drive are not the only thing that need to be like dealt with, or, you know, we can be, even if you have a gigantic suburban, you know, you can be, I mean, don't, it's not about consuming something different. Like you don't necessarily have to sell your car today, but when you do use the vehicle that you have, be mindful of, okay, I need to, I'm going to make this trip. This is going to cause a, a footprint. How can I make the most out of it? Right. And so for me, I, I'm a high mileage driver. Mine is an electric vehicle, but when I, of course, for my own pocket, when I go places, I'm going to plan, like when I go to the gym, I'm going to go to the gym that's down the street from a free public charger. I'm going to put my car on the charger. I'm going to walk to the gym a mile and be inconvenient so that I can get some of that. Basically, the bank that has the free charger is paying for my electricity and the bank has money. So I'm using that, but also I'm planning my day around the impact that I'm having. And then while I'm driving the car, I'm now trying to be more mindful of how fast I'm driving. It's an electric vehicle. So the acceleration is instant. Like you can go zero to 60 in like less than four seconds. Who the fuck needs to go from zero to 60 in less than four seconds? Not I. Uh, I can't think of a reason unless someone is like actively shooting at me and that's never happened. So just being mindful of how you use what you have and you know, the choices when you are in the market to buy something, be, just be mindful. Um, I have lots of clients, you know, who are, I I work with a lot of like teenagers and like college students and stuff like, oh yeah, I'm car shopping or whatever. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, uh, they'll tell me the type of car they have. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a hybrid version of that. They're like, "Ah, I don't want to, you know, and it's like, but you will spend less money. I, I think we have to find, it's not just about do it for the environment. It's about how will this impact someone's day-to-day life? Um, and I think the, in, I want to say it's the last section of the book. I might be jumping ahead, but uh, they go, the essays focus specifically on media and marketing and how they single-hand, not single-handedly, but have a huge impact on why the consumption is still so strong. And some of the uh, solutions to curbing climate change is also basically dialing back and banning the extent that advertising has over our consumption. Because if we're not constantly being marketed to, consumption would probably lessen and then carbon emissions would reduce. So it gets really in the weeds. But one more thing I'll say about vehicles, um, because it was it's all over the place. And we're definitely, you know, it's not not at, not everybody is going to go get an electric vehicle today. And even if we did, we're still using the electric grid, which needs to be greened up. And I will also say, I told y'all last week, I was doing this trip to South Carolina and now I'm going back to get them. But I will say compared to when I took the same trip in my grandma's small uh, gasoline vehicle to when I took my electric vehicle, it was almost double cost to take an electric vehicle and charge at the charging stations and stuff like that. And I'm going back tomorrow to 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 pick the person up. And I was like, ah, maybe I'll take my grandma's car this time just to save money. But then I thought about it and I'm like, well, there and back with her car, it was two whole tanks of two, about two and a half tanks of gas. Even though it was more expensive, I thought about it and I was like, if I saw two tanks of gas in front of me and then I saw them burst into flames, I would feel really like, you know, and so I have the choice of not 
burning that much gas to do this thing. I'm also not making this trip every day or every week. It's like a couple of times. So that this, and then I thought too, oh, just get a plane ticket so that he could get back here. Right. But then you read in the book and it's like contributing to the commercial uh, airline thing is also a huge, huge issue. I want to say, and I may be jumping into the net last section of the book too, but I want to say it's like 8% of the emissions is from like tourism. And so people taking planes to travel is a huge, huge problem. All of that to say, yes, there's inconvenience of taking an electric vehicle because it's more expensive. Um, you also have to plan it out. I mean, the GPS will tell you where to stop and stuff like that and how long to charge. It's quite fun, actually. It's like a game. But it's more expensive. Yes, it's cheaper to burn fossil fuels. However, the inconvenience that I'm having is, okay, yeah, it's more expensive. But for this particular purpose, I'm doing something because it's the right thing, not because it's the cheaper thing. I went into a couple of little circles there, which is why I love that I have a podcast editor and I can take out the things that doesn't make sense. But I want y'all to reflect on what you thought about transportation again, because I know that there's a lot of little nooks and crannies and I know that y'all have thoughts. So, Do you think that um, the initial like sticker shock of hybrid vehicles will like cause people to like have pause about buying them? Um, Because I think for me, um, because I've thought about like getting for my next car, hopefully a few years down the road, but um, I've thought about getting like a Tesla or, um, you know, another like hybrid, like I know Lexus, their SUV has a, that is a hybrid model. Um, But where I live, so I live in a townhouse and it's an in unit. So um, I don't park directly in front of my house. Um, So trying to get a um like a charger here would be hard because one it would have to like run all the way from my house to like my parking spot and like logistically like that would not make sense um so do you think any or do you guys think that any of those reasons could be barriers as to someone choosing a hybrid vehicle prior to my electric vehicle that i have now i had a prius and the cost of it for me again to make the decision to buy that vehicle it was i want to reduce my emissions and i because i drive a lot and i wanted to reduce the impact but at the time when i bought it i lived in an apartment and i couldn't there was nowhere to like if i had an electric car there would be nowhere to nowhere to charge it the infrastructure wasn't there so i was like okay i can get this and with the prius they have a plug-in version and i was like ah i could pay a little bit more and get that but at the time, I didn't know I would be buying a house or would be able to have the ability, right? So I got that. Um, the price over, say, the small the, the sedan I had before that, right? Significantly higher, right? Um, they used to have tax credits for hybrids. Now hybrids are so common that they don't have them. Um, they have tax credits for currently, at the time of this recording, they have tax credits for electric vehicles that are in manufactured in the United States. So they could be, say, like a, a Nissan Leaf, which is an electric vehicle. But the final production and assembly is here in the United States. They changed the rule. So when I bought my Volvo, the tax credit had literally gone away the month before I bought it. Because it used to be any electric vehicle would get the $7,500 tax credit. The month before I bought my Volvo, they were like, the administration or whatever was like, it has to be final manufactured in the United States. I get it. 
keep it local, all of that shit. My car was final manufactured in Belgium. So it's like, okay, I don't get the the credit. And I also understand that even by saying that I have a Volvo, it's privilege. And I, you know, I, I bought an expensive vehicle. It wasn't the most like cost effective way to buy an electric vehicle. But anyway, uh, the cost of it is much higher. So an electric vehicle is way higher than that of a internal combustion engine vehicle. And if you get an internal combustion engine vehicle, the hybrid model is going to be more expensive. But I think the problem is that we think of we think of things because of our culture. We look at this costs this. We don't think of the the lifespan of it. So if you look at the little sticker on the door or the window when you're car shopping, it'll say miles per gallon, right? And then they give you an estimate of you would save or you would spend an estimated this amount of money per year on fuel or whatever. And of course, this is based on averages and things like that. So I don't think there's enough marketing for that. Um, And I think if people really got into your bills each month would be significantly less if you choose this. And yeah, tax credits can help. But also people just choosing to do the right thing brings the cost of things down for everybody else. So um, I mentioned last uh, week that I learned after I bought my electric vehicle, how dirty the cobalt mining uh, industry is and how inhumane it is, right? However, on the bright side, and I say that with a lot of like, it's hard to even get the words out of my mouth. By buying an electric vehicle, the research of making things more efficient and better is going to be there because if there's demand that that means they have to do better and continue to improve the more vehicles that they produce the lower the cost it will be for everybody the more accessible things will become but to answer your question sticker shock is a real thing and to flip it on its head though something that i thought of and i think brianna may have brought it up is when gas prices go up people freak the fuck out over small changes a huge way to reduce consumption, and I know it sounds radical, if the prices went up high, not because there's some war going on, or not because, you know, whatever, if the administration just decided, okay, we're going to get serious about these emissions, hike those gas prices up, we will figure the fuck out how to get around and do what we need to do more efficiently. I guarantee you. I guarantee you. And another thing that they mentioned about transportation is that there is the technology to retrofit vehicles. Like people have regular bicycles. You can buy a kit online to turn it into an e-bike. Like the bike that you have in your garage or your shed or whatever, like you can have an e-bike without having to buy an entire e-bike. Like if they can do that with that, they can do it with a car. Like instead of, and I think it's, culture shifting too is like we drive a car for 10 15 years and then it's junk right what if when that like that gasoline engine is kaput retrofitting the cars with batteries to make them continue to live that's part of why i i don't like to say a car is an investment because it's a depreciating thing but i like the idea that when with all the miles that I drive and when the battery starts to fail, it's individual cells 
you can have it serviced and I think they can replace the, 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 the dead cells and it can continue to have life. Some electric vehicles are getting 300, 500,000 miles on a battery, right? And so the longevity, I think, is going to be better. There's not enough research to really support that long term. But I think if people understand that the technology can make it to where their cars last longer than 10 to 15 years, also not having to get oil changes and things like that, that might be what gets it. But I think marketing is going to be a big part. And also, again, if everybody understands this is a crisis, but the best way to tell people that it's a crisis is to, I'm just, and I know I say this from a place of, I got an EV, I'm not going to be crazily impacted by the hike in gas prices, but I will because fuel is still involved in powering the electric grid. But I think that it will make us think more. And I think it will, you know, if something's really expensive, we won't use as much. And I think that might be, that might be a game changer. But in the meantime, I think making choices that are more efficient, such as a hybrid or electric vehicle, or if you're getting a gas car, get a smaller one. You don't need the three row SUV when you're graduating high school, but any other insights on vehicles? I I could talk about this all day. I do think it will start to drop. It's, it's like anything else, right? Supply and demand. Um, But I think uh, the forecasting models say it's going to begin dropping significantly in the next uh, three fiscal quarters, and then it will have a more steady drop after that. I think you're always going to pay a premium, right? But like you pay a premium for anything good. The way I look at it is I look at it the same way as I replace anything in my house. So especially because I just bought a house and moved, now as I'm replacing things, I'm trying to look into that longevity. So for example, um, I finished a cleaning solution container the other day that was plastic went out and I got a really nice glass one which will last forever this one was starting to crack like that mindset that I'm doing with my cleaning containers is also what I started doing with my cars and, and everything else but I do think that like you have to be able to have that startup cost right and so some people aren't going to have that and you're going to have to wait until it does drop but um it, it's a bummer that John Zell didn't get the tax credit, but the reason he didn't get the tax credit is because the hybrids are so popular. So if this can be that next wave, you know, then that could become so popular that it becomes more affordable too. Um, I think that I probably have a little bit more faith in capitalism than other individuals who care about equity, but I just think it's a way that you can balance the scales. I think that you can have a egalitarianism in trying to make sure that money goes around. Um, and capitalism, like any of the incentive could be anything, right? Can be a disincentive too. So you want to lower your emissions, hike up your gas. Um, it's just that equation, but I, I hope that it becomes more affordable. I would be interested, um, in a few different things right now that are on the market if they were more affordable, but I just can't afford that initial sticker at all. Yeah, and I'll, I'll piggyback off that. Obviously, if it's outside of your means, and which is it's one of those things, right? It's harder for people in par- poverty to really go by the philosophy of like buy once, cry once is what I say. But, you know, if if you can buy a nicer item that's going to go, say, for a vacuum cleaner, right? If you can buy a Dyson vacuum cleaner and you know it's going to last you the next 30 years, then you're not going to buy a vacuum cleaner every 
few years, right? But if you buy the cheap one from Walmart that came from China, it's going to stop sucking in five months. You're going to be back out buying another vacuum cleaner, um, which is one of those things where it's a place of privilege, right? If you have enough money to go out and buy an electric vehicle, you might go out and buy an electric vehicle. But if the price is outside of your price point, you don't really have any other options than to buy something that's you know, less expensive, which puts you back into that same thing. You buy a used car, it breaks down, you have to buy another car. And so we're in that like consumer loop, which unfortunately people get stuck in because of the price, the price point. Yeah, I think, I think you just hit on it. That consumer loop, unfortunately, is why I see people that can't get ahead. Like I used to teach um, SNAP education, um, SNAP, you know, food, food stamp benefits, and a lot of people just get the benefits, but when the program is followed to the letter, there's actually an education component that goes with it. And one of the uh, lessons is feed a family of four on four. And I'm sure that would have to be updated, but like it's a legumes um, recipe. And then there's some other, there's like another week, which is all about budgeting. And it is really hard, I think, we can, firstly, you need to teach people that you don't just pop out the womb knowing how to do that. It doesn't mean that you're stupid, but you don't know what you don't know. And so I would see a lot of really smart people making really poor financial decisions because like they don't know to take the unit price and yeah, that looks expensive, but how much is it per ounce? Um, just like helping them with little things like that. But then I would also see that sometimes they could, um, do better with bulk, but they just didn't have the dollars to get that bulk pantry started. So they were going to buy the smaller thing of flour and they were going to buy because in order to have their staples, they didn't have that money to make that investment. And that consumer loop is so much harder to get out of because if, you know, you're following like, you know, that 50, 30, 20 rule, which is no more. I can tell you it's no more. My expenses are way more than 50%. I work multiple jobs. Um, but there's no, if you're already, you don't have any savings and you don't have any slack. So first the fun goes, and then you start picking between necessities in order to make life work. And that's sad. Um, and so we want people to make these better choices and people just, they're just trying to live. Um, but to John Sell's point, too, about that marketing aspect, when you do have the means, like one thing that I'm excited about is I'm looking at um, a financing option for solar panels on the back half of my house. I'm trying to get over the fact that I'm not going to have to cut down this beautiful tree that I love. Um, but with the solar panels, there's a group and I think it would be like 113 a month. I was looking at it for 60 months, but I would have no electric bill after that. You know, and so that's going to pay for itself fairly quickly. Um, but I'm going to have to eat that cost. I don't know. It's really hard. Hey, y'all. I'm interrupting this episode to let you know how you can support my podcast, writing, and other creative projects. Head over to the show notes of this episode where you can consider buying me a coffee once or monthly gift me a book from my wish list, or just leave a nice review to help others find this podcast. I know your time and money is valuable, so thank you in advance for your support. And now, let's get back to the show. And then in my head, I go, 
but wait a second, Dominion Energy has way more resources and things. They should have solar panels and they should be sending green energy to my house. Why should I have to finance solar panels and things like that to bring energy to my house to go off the grid when a bigger corporation has the ability? And I think, like you said, that initial sticker shock of being able to get in on those greener things, it's like, it goes back to what I said before, we got to make the small decisions, do the best that we can. But I think it's the, the big point of change is going to come with activism and getting the big players to do the right thing and demand that. Demand it with our dollars, demand it with, like where I said last time, I'm not renewing my Prime subscription. It's like a very small drop in the bucket, but I'm like, I'm not going to have access to this. Later in the book, uh, Greta talks about how, or I think it was in this section, she talked about how she just is not going to fly anywhere anymore. She literally, I think to get across to the United States, she sailed. And she's like, that was not convenient. It took forever, right? But she's making a statement. She's like, I'm not going to continue to fuel this machine. And so it's it's very daunting. Something that's exciting for me with regard to the big players picking up some of the slack um, is just, the idea that that acronym ESG, Environmental and Social Governance, is becoming so much more spoken of in the business world. It was a concentration for my business program. It's advertised for other business programs. Um, ESG certifications are options now. And I really like ESG. I like it more than a green energy cert or something else because I think it brings home the social determinant aspect and who suffers the most when we don't make these changes, um, it ties that in, it ties that into principles of DEI. And I think it makes it more holistic, but that's, you know, that's a big move right now. Like that's something that they're talking about in Poets and Watts. That's something that's popping up on the different lists. That's something that people are looking for. I don't think it's a trend. I think it's a movement and I think it's here to stay. And so that also makes me very um, hopeful. I have a quote on page 283 about consumption that I want to share that kind of ties this together. So, quote, the answer retailers might have you believe lies in the world's elite consuming differently. A reusable water bottle, a canvas shopping bag, a silicone straw, an electric vehicle, smart appliances. Such purchases are small steps towards a better world, we are told, except they are not. In terms of resource use and emissions, buying nothing beats buying something virtually all the time. And I'm going to read that one more time. In terms of resource use and emissions, buying nothing beats buying something virtually all the time. Better to keep driving the car you own than shelling out for a brand new Tesla or wearing out what is in your wardrobe rather than buying a new capsule wardrobe in the name of ethical fashion. A particularly telling Statistic. A person would have to use an organic cotton tote every single day for half a century to offset the impact of its production, the Danish government has estimated. No, less needs to be less. That is the uncomfortable essential truth. We as individuals need to stop it with the excessive and the unnecessary, from bags to plane flights to second cars. We need to reside in smaller, greener homes and adopt mass transit. More than that, we need to develop a profound skepticism of the economic ideologies that have brought us to mass extinction extinction and catastrophic warming and begin, begin acting as if this disaster is indeed a disaster, end quote. The mouthful, 
but goddamn. Uh, I mean, I think she's not wrong, but I do like, I don't know, like, I just, that's where I think she's not wrong. She's absolutely correct, but I wouldn't knock on the people that are trying to get the canvas back. Like, you got to get that culture change to start somewhere. And so I kind of bristled at this quote because if you're trying to get people to play on your team, you're not recruiting very well at this moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think you can be more tactful in that, like, do you have a bag that could work? Like, if you already have a Kroger bag that's plastic, why not just use that instead of throwing it out, right? Like, you don't need to go out and get all of these sustainable products. You can use what you have. Um, And I think I made, you know, the point about the can opener a couple of weeks ago. Like, it's the same thing. Like, my boyfriend has vintage Pyrex, and he's like, oh, it's like all this stuff's really old. And I'm like, no, this stuff is awesome. Like, why would you get rid of, like, actual good glassware? Like, don't. Like, continue to use it until it breaks, which Pyrex does shatterproof, right? So I think that more tactful, like like Brianna's saying, like, you want people to be a part of the, the, the movement. But I also get, like, there shouldn't be this, like, push to be like, all right, I need to go out and, like, get all sustainable things and, like, throw all the plastic away. Like, no, 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 no. Like, that's that's the opposite extreme. Like, we need you some, some middle ground where it's like, okay, I'm going to keep using you know, this shirt until there's a hole in it. And then even then I might mend the shirt and keep wearing it. And this wasn't actually Greta who said this. This was a, it was essay 14 or 4.19 at Annie Lowry. But I, Greta does kind of fall into that camp where she says something abruptly and it's matter of fact, but no lies were told. And so it, it is abrupt and it's it she does talk about how it's hard to kind of toe the line between getting people to listen to you but not beating them over the head i do think that she tries to give the message of don't lead with like shame and guilt because you're you're not going to get anywhere and also making people feel bad uh just for the sake of being superior is not uh it's not productive no one gets anywhere and she also says like don't lose hope if you lose hope, then we're doomed. And so these things such as like, okay, don't buy the tote bag just because the marketing says that it's sustainable, right? If you do, like Brianna had said earlier, you get the target pickup order or whatever. Those target pickup order bags are really thick and like great for when, I don't know, your daughter has a uh, accident and you need to change her diaper on the go and you want to tie it off in a bag that's not going to leak those target bags are really like durable and great. And so we can find second lives for things, um, do the best that we can. There are time, there was a time in the past week where I went somewhere and I was like, Oh, I'm going to have my reusable, um, you know, coffee cup so I can go in and whatever. And I forgot it at home. Cause I was in a hurry. My, my daughter literally had a tantrum in our driveway, like throwing herself on the ground. Like it was one of those things that I was like, well, fuck, I forgot my cup. I'm going to, I'm going to get the paper cup and it is what it is. I did recycle it. You know, we, we don't know what's going to happen in the the end of the life with the recycling, but I think do the best that you can. But um, also I like the idea of the messaging and it needs to be out there more is stop consuming. 
And it's completely countercultural because everything around us, I mean, you log into Instagram, someone's trying to sell you something every other scroll. There's ads, there's things like your phone is listening to you right now, and it's going to be marketing something that you said, right? Someone said Tesla here. I bet you through listening to this podcast, someone's phone is recording that and it's going to send them an ad for a Tesla or a Volvo. It's it's so pervasive. But if we live a daily life, a, a life of, like I said, with you know something, not everybody's going to just go the speed limit, but... I made the decision to slow down, right? And I like the the message of slow down, slow down the consumption. We individually, we talked about how we need to turn off the faucet. We can turn off the faucet in our own house to impact the collective faucet that's overflowing the bathtub, right? So I can turn off the faucet in my own house by choosing not to have Amazon Prime and not to get everything sent to me every other day. Uh, or every like literally same day, I can choose to turn off the faucet by getting, you know, using a more fuel uh, or a more efficient vehicle. I, I can turn off the faucet by trying my best to recycle or find a second life for things or to question what I'm doing. Like, uh, I'll give one more example, like clothing. I'm not a bit, I don't buy clothes very often. I buy like something I like, I get it in five colors. I wear that shit for years until it falls apart. And then I literally go back on to that last order and find five new colors and we do it all over again. That's kind of how I am. But uh, for working out, uh, I work out about six days a week. My exercise clothes have kind of had that like not fresh smell to them, even though they've been washed. And I was like, oh, I need to order like some new workout shirts. And I literally had the thing in my cart on Amazon and I was like, wait a second. And I literally made the order, canceled the order, made the order, canceled the order on Amazon, which you can do that. And then I was like, okay. And then I I did some research and I found like a laundry sanitizer that's designed for, you know, that dry fit like type clothes that can smell a little like musty or whatever. I used it today on all my workout clothes. And I just literally before this podcast, I was folding laundry. They smell great. So I saved myself not only like $35 on buying five new exercise shirts, but the exercise shirts that I bought two years ago are going to continue to be in use. There's nothing wrong with them. I just needed to come up with a solution. So consumption was my instinct because that's what I'm trained to do stopping the consumption is something that is uh it's a practice it's not something that just comes naturally to us so yeah i like that idea of turning off the faucet in your own house but yeah that quote that i did share it was very abrupt but it's true i mean we consume way too fucking much and i'm not perfect i and just because i drive an ev doesn't mean that i'm not a consumer like we live in the united states we're all a big part of the problem Part of it is our culture, but if we can be aware of it and make changes, that's something. So I'll leave it at that. But what is the thing that you have done or will do this week to be inconvenienced to reduce your carbon footprint? That's kind of the sign off that I've been doing with these episodes. That's a fun one. That's a great question. So I think something that I have uh, been not forced into but uh, being more understanding uh, at my boyfriend's house, he doesn't have trash service. So you have to be, he lives out in the county. Uh, so you have to like bring your trash to a place for it to go. So 
it's it's a chore, right? So I was like, we're gonna start composting because like if you take the food waste out, one, it doesn't stink as bad, two, it's not as heavy. Um, and the other thing we that is a little inconvenient because you gotta plan ahead is buying in bulk. So there's less packaging. <laughs> Um, cause like, you know, one, one good trash run and you're like, mm, this is a problem, right? Like, I don't want to do this again every Saturday for the rest of my life. We gotta, we gotta put some weeks in between, in between these trips. So that's what I've started doing. Um, there at least I'm a little bit more fortunate here where I can just bring it out to my trash can. It makes me feel, feel blessed to have curbside service. <laughs> but that's a good one. I think composting is something that it like it takes a little bit of preparation but that's the thing too like yeah there's inconveniences but when people start to notice the benefits of things that's the buy-in like if people can notice the benefits of a more fuel efficient car they buy in it's like oh yeah this makes my life better not having to carry as heavy of trash makes my life better like the with me reducing how fast i drive in my EV, it makes my life better because I don't have to charge it as often. And, you know, my, and I'll give my like sign off um, is I'm going to be inconvenienced tomorrow by making this trip back to South Carolina and back, right? Uh, I am going to use the electric chargers um, and they're expensive. But I'm making a, a I I went back and forth in my mind of am I going to do this again or am I just going to take the gas car like the comfortable way right and I'm going to make the choice that's more expensive because at the end of the day it matters to me and I think I've talked about this that my my um, call to action is that I'm somebody's parent so the decisions I make today I have to think about the earth that my Maya Jane is going to have when she's older. Cause currently with, you know, my anxiety and everything, I'm like, okay, I brought a child into, first of all, I brought a child into Trump's America, which was a whole nother thing. You'll hear about it in my book uh, someday when that's finished. But I think about what am I doing today? That's going to impact the climate that she has in her old age. And currently, the anxiety has me terrified. I'm like, I'm going to have to convince my daughter not to have children. That's that's the pain point for me. I'm going to have like, and I know that that sounds ridiculous. But in my head, I'm like, if she has children, they are going to have to deal with this shit. This is going to be, you know, and it's getting bad. And so the decisions I make today need to slow down the impact because she's going to be here longer than I am. But if what I do now slows climate change in little tiny ways, at least I'm doing my part. And then my ripple effect is hopefully the impact of maybe this podcast or this book club or whatever is that other people are talking about it and the conversations continue and we all start to do more and more. And I think I'm, I'm looking forward to next week where we get more into the talk about like activism, things like that making big change because like i said at the beginning we can go to space there are very rich people who are paying a lot of money to travel to space right if we can do that we can we can fix climate change um it's not going to be easy but in in the meantime i'm going to make the decisions i can to make the least impact that i can and my motivation is so that 
Maya Jane can have a good life. And hopefully future generation, that's the thing I think we have to get out of our individual here and now. And when we make these investments, it's not just about us and our lifetime, but there are people who are going to come after us because as sure as people are alive, they're going to reproduce, right? Life is going to continue to go on, but you have to think about what the life is going to be like for those people. Also, what is life like for the people now who are really impacted by climate change who we don't talk about in these drought areas, in these, these places where people are literally on the brink of you know, either needing to migrate, which they may not be able to afford to, or they're going to die. Climate change is an emergency. People are dying every day from air pollution, from, you know, we didn't even get into it, but like when we recycle stuff, it's being shipped to Southeast Asia and it's being put in landfills and those toxins, or they're being set on fire. And the communities who live there are dying of cancers and things like that. Like there's so many, uh, the, the, downstream effects of our consumption is disgusting, terrifying, inhumane, all of these things. So no, it's not ending on a super positive note, but listeners to this podcast, think about how you can turn off the faucet in your own life. Each day, every little drop helps. And we're going to continue to explore this book next week to get into hopefully some more solutions to what we can do on a larger scale. As a person who's finished the book, I'm going to spoil it for you and say that it's kind of open-ended because basically the answer to climate change is to do something. And while we can expect, oh, this is the climate book, the ending should have all the answers. That's not Greta Thunberg's job to give us all the answers and give us a a 10-point plan. It's for us to, it's an individual thing, but it's also a systemic thing. So there's a call to action. But until we get to part four, your call to action is to think of a way to think of ways to be inconvenienced to reduce your carbon footprint. And we will see you back next week for um, the final installment. We are going to be discussing pages uh, about 315 to the end. Um, So definitely join us back next week. But until next time, thank you so much for listening and take care.